Amen. Thank you, Bill, and also thank you, Aaron and Tanner and worship team for leading us this morning. What a blessing. I would invite you to take your copy of the Lord's Word and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 9. As we continue our series on the family today, and today we're going to talk about a different kind of family, one that we have not talked about yet, but is just as important, and the Bible has lots to say about it, is that is the single family, meaning when it's, it's just you, it's just you. Would you be able to guess how much of the United States is classified as single? What do you think, percentage-wise? 50%. It's actually just shy of 50% of the United States is single. Now, herein lies a problem. And what is the problem? Well, when people think about church, and we are no exception to this, is that church is often built around, first and foremost, around Jesus, but around the ebb and flow of doing church is built around the life of a family. And when it comes to life of a family and having multiple individuals in a household, one of the things that can be a real struggle is to be a single adult and find your place in a Baptist church or find your place in a Bible-believing a Bible church. And what I want us to do today is I want us to see what the New Testament has to say about single life in the church of the living God. There is a path for single life that is good and pleasing to God and is a blessing to the person and those around them here at First Baptist Tupelo. And it's true of every church. Now, let's go ahead and acknowledge that there's more than one kind of single. There are people who are single who've never been married before. There are people who are single now who have been married but are now single again due to divorce, separation, or death, or abandonment, something like that. Uh, there may be other unique situations. There's more than just one kind of single. And we often, especially as Southern culture, as we're going to talk about a little bit here in today's message, is we flatten all of those reasons into just a couple. But our statement for this morning is this, is that singleness is a gift that you, were, you will either love or hate. Singleness is a gift that you will either love or hate. So we're going to read from Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, and that's chapter 7. We're going to be in verses 1 through 9. I'm going to read this to you today. And you're going to find uh, a couple of funny things here as we begin. And we'll talk about it when we get into our outline. But today's for the singles. Let's read our Lord's Word. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 9. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights 
and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. Remember, Paul is single. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows I say, it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. This is the word of our Lord this morning. Let's start with principle number one. It should come as no surprise to any single person in church that even the Bible can't talk about singleness without talking about married people. All right, so right here in 1 Corinthians 7 in dealing with the subject of singleness, Paul says, hey, okay, one more thing about marriage. So I'm not doing it, Paul's doing it, so we're going to talk about marriage one more time. One more word about marriage as this topic is introduced, singleness, within the church of the living God, the first word is actually about marriage. Is The Bible has two major categories for people, single and celibate or married and intimate. The Bible has two major categories for people, single and celibate or married and intimate. Look down in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 1. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, meaning they have written a letter to him. He's, they're waiting for his response. It's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now, if you memorize that verse in the King James Version growing up as I did, your scripture says this, your copy of translation says, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Our youth pastor always used this verse every time we'd go to summer camp or choir tour and would be riding on the bus. And he would say, listen, young, listen, fellas, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. So hands off. Don't let me see you touching the girls. Well, actually, it meant a whole lot more than just touching them. And certainly that would have been off limits, too. But what the scripture is implying here, the KJV uses a euphemism to say good for a man not to touch a woman. What it's talking about here, hey, it's good for a man to abstain from sexual relations with a woman and the confines of marriage. This is what he is talking about. It's good for a person, it's an honorable thing for a person to be single. And then he moves into this other category. This other category, but because of temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. So he introduces there are two categories known to scripture. And this is this, single and celibate, or married and intimate. These are the two approved, blessed, general categories that God has given his church as appropriate sexual behavior as children of God. Uh, what I want us to see here in thinking about single life, single life, there is no category in the Bible for 
hookup culture. It does not exist. Well, I'm not married, so I can just hook up with who I want to. Well, you can't do that, according to the scripture. That's sinful. That purity and God-honoring sexuality exists whether you're married or not. The two categories that are outlined in Scripture are single and celibate or married and intimate. And then he moves into that. So let's talk about marriage and intimacy very quick here. First of all, we need to acknowledge a couple things. Marriage is being joined by covenant. Marriage is being joined by covenant. It goes beyond with whom you are sleeping with or cohabitating. Paul is talking here to married people. These are people who are not just choosing to live together. These are people who are joined together by covenant. People who have made promises to each other that I'm not going to leave you. For instance, it is possible to be living with someone, according to the scripture, and not be married to them. Uh, I know in America we have things such as common law marriages. Perhaps some of you might even be in a common law marriage. Uh, or your parents were, and things like that. But if, if we're trying to align our lives with the Scripture, the Scripture is rooted in not just religious commands, but also civil commands, and we'll talk about those in just a minute. Because according to the Scripture, it's possible to live with someone and not be married to them. Um, listen to John four sixteen through 18. This is when Jesus is having a conversation with the woman at the well. You remember this story. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So what does Jesus acknowledge here? He is not acknowledging not just the covenantal, but the civil side of marriage that the Bible talks about. Marriage has to do with civil law, according to the scripture. He is acknowledging to her, you've had five husbands. What does that mean? That means that this woman has been either divorced five times or her husband has um, passed away and she has gone on to another man. But the man she is living with does not automatically become her husband. Why? Because she is not joined together with him in a covenant. So if we're framing this up and looking, I think Paul, if he could speak to us to say, today, would say this. Hey, listen, you can be single and celibate, or you can be married and intimate. Emphasis on married first, together in the confines of marriage. Now, when I say something like that, sometimes, uh, in fact, I don't around my friends that are living together and not married and stuff like that. I typically don't bring it up. I don't want to be divisive. But if they were to ask me about it, uh, they would say, if they were to say something, well, what does the Bible say? I would point to scriptures like this and say, well, this is what the Bible says. Now, if somebody were defensive, they would say, well, are you thinking you're better than me? You're just going to tell me how to live my life and then I can't live like this, but even though I'm trying to be a good person, you don't think that you have sin too? No, 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 no. Listen, we can talk about all my all my sins all day long. I'm not saying, I'm just, I'm not trying to get you to align with me. I'm just trying to get you to take an honest look at the scripture. And hear, hear, hear this this morning. There is so much grace with God. And if there's so much grace and patience with God, there should exist grace and patience with us that we might have for each other. But at the same time, woe unto all of us if we compromise the word of God. That's a dead end road. So, 
Moving on. The Old Testament treats marriage as a civil union, not just a religious one. The Old Testament treats marriage as a civil union, not just a religious one. The civil nature of marriage provided legal protection for the wife. I want you to read with me Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse number 1. This is, these are the regulations concerning divorce. This is why I think it's impossible for divorce to be a sin. Certainly, divorce is the result of sin. Of course, we know that. We know God hates divorce. But why in the world would God regulate sin? So people have this big D hanging over them. Oh, my goodness, I'm just finished. I'm just divorced. No, divorce is a civil procedure that happens because of the hardness of hearts, according to the Bible. If it were a sin, there would not be instructions on how to do it in Deuteronomy 24 because God would not be instructing people on how to sin. Is his desire for marriage? Of course it is. Does he hate divorce? Of course he does. Does he want you to get divorced? Of course he does not. But it's there for a reason because of the hardness of human hearts. All right, you've heard me talk about that before, but I think that's something we get really wrong as a church, and it causes us to treat people who've been through divorce very, very unfairly. So, because we oversimplify the matter. Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse number 1. Let's look on the screen. What it says here, talking about Old Testament treating marriage as a civil union concerning civil law. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house. And it goes on to say a few things more about that. But here's what I want you to see is the civil nature of marriage, meaning... If a man divorces his wife in the Old Testament, he cannot just send her out of his house because that woman could not be married again because she couldn't be provided for unless she has a certificate of divorce showing she is not legally married to another person. And if you were to read the rest of Deuteronomy 24, it talks about that she can use that certificate of divorce to get remarried, according to Deuteronomy 24. So... What I want, the only thing I want you to see this morning, the thing I'm emphasizing, is the civil and legal nature of marriage. It is a religious covenant before God, but it's also a civil legal thing too. And our culture still acknowledges that today. See, the next thing, and then we'll be done with looking at marriage and moving on from here, is that marriage ends healthy and unhealthy singleness. Marriage ends healthy and unhealthy singleness. What does the scripture say when talking about marriage? Well, <clears throat> notice it says in verse 2, I'm just going to reread verses 2 through 5 again. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, talking about sexual intimacy there, um, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So here's what Paul envisions. Paul envisions that when you move from singleness into married life that your body is no longer your own. If you're a woman, it's no longer just your body, it's his body too, your husband. 
If you're a man, it's no longer your body, it's her body too. It's the way the scripture teaches it. Marriage ends healthy and unhealthy singleness. Regardless if you were living a God-glorifying life as a single person or an ungodly life as a single person, the expectation when you get married is that, listen, if you're going to get married and seek to follow God's directives for our life in a marriage, is that you acknowledge that marriage ends singleness. You can no longer live the way that you used to live. You can't do whatever you want to do anymore, so to speak. Not that you were able to do whatever you wanted to do as a single person and honor God, but even in a more limited sense, is that, listen, my life is now bound to another person. Now, it's talking about sexual intimacy here, and it's like, is he going to talk about that? Well, it's here in the scripture. I probably ought to. So let's talk about it in a 30,000 square, not 30,000 square foot, 30,000 foot view of it here, is that it would be a mistake to say here, well, you know what the scripture says, the scripture says that, you know, she's got to make sure that he's happy and he's got to make sure that she's happy. And if one of them goes outside the confines of marriage, you know what the real reason was. It's because somebody else wasn't doing their job. Boy, that's not healthy to assume that. Why? Because what does the scripture say? The scripture says because of your lack for self-control. Ladies, it is your responsibility before God in the scripture to be intimate with your husband. Men, it is your responsibility before God to be intimate with your wife. Why? Because the scripture says this is what is good and pleasing towards God. What does that look like in a healthy, how do you make that specific to each marriage? Well, it's not made specific to each marriage. And I think it's for each of us to navigate that with the wisdom of God and patience with one another and figuring that out. And there may be seasons and health reasons and all kinds of other things that play into that. But the emphasis is this, is that if somebody does go outside the boundaries of marriage and break the marriage vows, it's, the scripture does not call it the fault. If the husband has an affair, the scripture does not blame the wife. If a wife has the affair, the scripture does not blame the husband. No sexual immorality going beyond marriage, the blame is placed on the person who is the offending party who has chosen to go outside the marriage. Now, keep in mind, I'm not stupid. I know there are people in this room right now that you have at some point in your marriage or a previous marriage have gone outside of marriage and you have broken your vows and you sin before God. Listen, I'm not judging you. I'm just reading you the scripture. I love you. God's forgiven you. You should forgive yourself. You should get over that and nail that thing to the cross and move on. So it's true. But again, let's let the scripture say what it says and let it serve not as a judgment on previous behavior towards us. Unless it's something we're engaging in now, and need to stop and turn towards God and reconcile with our spouse, if that's possible. But um, let's let the cross be the cross, and let's let the sin be sin, and keep in mind that sin is nailed to the cross, and we bear it no more. So let's keep on going. Let's talk about singleness now. Singleness is this. First of all, singleness is good. It is good. I want you to look down in verse number six, now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, 
but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Notice that Paul calls this a gift, and a gift is good. Now, I want you to think about this. Um, We'll look down in verse 8 as well. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single. Just that phrase right there. It is good for them to remain single. Well, how do we square 1 Corinthians 7.1 and 7.8? Remember 7.1, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. It is, verse 8, good for them to remain single. How do you square that with Genesis 2.18? Do you remember Genesis 2.18? Well, Genesis 2.18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that a man should be alone I will make a helper fit for him. How do you square those two things? How can it be not good and good at the same time? Well, let's talk about that. Marriage was instituted as good through Adam. Singleness was instituted as good through Jesus. We often forget this. Jesus was single. Paul was single. Many other men and women in the Bible were single. Marriage was instituted as good through Adam. Singleness was instituted as good through Jesus. Adam was single, and it was not good. Adam was single, and it was not good. In fact, Paul talks about this, that there is a way to be single, and it's not going to be good because it's not the life that God has for you. It's not good for a person who desires to be married to remain single. That's what the Scripture says. So... Adam was single and not good. Jesus, however, was single and good. I love Matthew 3.17, which says this. This is at Jesus' baptism. Keep in mind, he's baptized at around 30, 30 30-something years of age. Nobody really knows. Um, As a single adult into his ministry. Listen to Matthew 3.17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. He wasn't married, and God was so pleased with Jesus. Also, listen to what actually Jesus says in response to some questions on divorce. Matthew 19, 10 through 12, Jesus says this as he's talking to the disciples. The disciples say first, the disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying. So Jesus is acknowledging not everybody is supposed to be married but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Eunuch, another way of saying singleness, um, in a more specific way, and if you know the reason, you know the reason. But Jesus is... Still, he's addressing here the fact of single life, and he is using the word eunuch to respond to the question of the disciples when they just said, well, gosh, it's just better not to get married. And Jesus says, "Eh, bad idea. 
Let's not respond that way. For those that that gift is given, okay. But not for everybody. Jesus acknowledges it's not for everybody. So let's go to principle number three here. Principle number three. Well, Jesus and Paul may call singleness good, but Southern culture grades with different standards. I think we all know this, right? Jesus and Paul call singleness good, but Southern culture grades with different standards. Jesus looks at singleness, good. Paul looks at singleness, good. But what about where we live? Well, Southern culture allows for two main explanations for singleness. And there, here they are. A reason and a season. And the reason is almost always bad. Well, you know why she's single. Or you know why he's single. And then you just fill in the blank. And that's the culturally appropriate way for Southerners to say, they're just weird. That's why. And that's so judgmental. So judgmental. And we should distance ourselves from that kind of talk. It is the assumption of Southern culture that if you're not married, there's something wrong with you. And that's why everybody else has gotten married, because there's not something wrong with them. But the reason you hadn't gotten married, because there's something wrong with you. That's not true. That is not true, 150%. Y'all, it is a dead-end road casting shade on what the Bible calls good. And the Bible has called singleness a gift, and it is called singleness good, and how dare we? Cast shade on what God has called good. Also, y'all, it's a dead-end road to expect all single people to get married. It's one of the things that I've been told recently by a couple of my single friends. They said, especially when I'm around my family, like every time I'm around, this person happens to be a single adult male. He said, every time I'm around my family, like if a woman walks past and she does not have a wedding band, they're like, hey, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> And he said, finally, I was like, Mom, she's 93, okay? (sighs) For whatever reason, we feel the burden as married people that we've got to fix our single friends. Oh, matchmaker. Listen, I'm a terrible matchmaker. Oh, my goodness. Even when people ask me, hey, do you think I should date so-and-so? I'll be like, yeah, (laughs) I don't know, you know? Because I'm just not good at it, all right? Some people have that gift and stuff like that. Um, some people think they have that gift, and you are that person. And let me just tell you, you don't have it. <laughs> let me just speak the word of truth today. Um, but anyway, it's a dead-end road to expect all single people to get married. And it's also a dead-end road to assume single people don't want to be married. Like, for instance... As a married person, if we sit down with our single friends, and we're like, I mean, don't you want children? Well, some of our single friends would give anything to find God's person for them and have a family. They want that from the bottom of their heart. I've talked to them. You've talked to them. And it doesn't help when we come along and try to fix the situation as if we're going to try to, like, coach them into figuring this out. All right? So it's a dead-end road to assume single people don't want to be married. It's a dead-end road to expect all single people to get married. And it's also a dead-end road casting shade on what the Bible 
calls good. So what is our point of action here as married people today? Let's stop trying to fix our single friends. They are not broken. Let's stop trying to fix our single friends. They are not broken. Listen, living a single life is a God-honored position. Let me tell you something. And y'all, you know that I am not Catholic. I am thoroughly a Protestant. I've been Southern Baptist nine months before I was born. I will be buried when it's all said and done in a cemetery next to a Southern Baptist church. I am dyed in the wool, as they say. However, you know the thing that I love and respect about our Catholic friends is that singleness is an honored position in the Catholic Church. Why? That's who they use to lead the church, the priests. Those are the people that go and serve in the monasteries, the nuns, the monks. And it's treated as an honored position. All of the church leaders, singleness. Now, personally, I'm not for that in the sense of saying that I think all church leaders should be single and celibate. I don't think so. I don't think that's a good thing. But here's what I do love and respect about our Catholic friends and neighbors. They honor single life and see it as an honorable way to please God. And we need some of that in our churches. Because it is an honorable thing to be single in the church of the living God. So, moving on. Let's talk about this. What do we do with those who are single and don't love it? Well, those who are single are not required to love it. All right? Here's what I want you to hear your pastor saying today if you're single. All right? I don't want you to hear me today saying to you, embrace the sovereignty of God. Get over yourself. It's not about you. It's about God and his glory and his kingdom. Marriage is not for this life anyway. Oh my goodness, that's so cold-hearted. Probably preachers don't say it that way. I'm sure somebody somewhere is saying it like that. But typically we just say things like, well, it's about God and his sovereignty. And, you know, God just wants this for you. So you're just going to have to embrace that, which is a.k.a. get over yourself. It's okay to be single and hate that life. It's okay to be divorced and hate that life too. It's okay to be widowed and hate that life. All right? We love God. We're not required to love life. By loving God, we may end up loving life, and that's the intention. But life is hard. And we're not commanded to love life. We're commanded to love our Savior. Friends, if you're single and hate it, let your requests be made known to God. And by the way, if you love Jesus and you're a single person, I'm not giving you any idea that you have not already thought of. Like there's no cert single person in here is like, oh yeah, that's right. I should pray about this. No, you are praying about it. I know that. But it's just a reminder. If you're single and hate it, let your requests be made known to God. If single life is not for you, tell God, Lord, I don't like this. Lord, please help me find the person that you want me to have in this life. Also, if you're single and hate it, let God direct your steps. 
Let God direct your steps. We know this proverb. It's so beautiful. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. This is a, a general proverb that is a general application of solid wisdom for not just single people but married people. Trust in the Lord. Don't trust in society. Don't trust in even other Christians. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Listen, you can trust God's heart, His purpose, and path. Now, but remember, in trusting God's purpose and path, you still got to put your shoes on and walk. We understand that. But you can trust God's good hand. Listen, if you're single and you hate it, and it displeases you, there is something, there is something in my heart that believes that if you're bothered by it, your heavenly father is bothered by it for your sake too. Just because I feel like it is a good and responsible thing for me as a dad to be bothered by the things that bother my children. And God is in tune with your heart. If you're single, you're not required to love it. Let your requests be made known to God. Let God direct your steps. And then here's the last one. If you're single and hate it, don't focus on looking in the right place. Be in the right place. I want to be very careful how I'm like navigating this last point because this is very important. That if you're single and hate it and you desire to be married, all right, I don't want you to hear what I'm saying as just go to church. He's waiting on you right there. Just go to church. She's waiting on you. She's in the choir. She's on the pew. She may be. He may be. But this is not what I'm talking about. I am not saying be where you're supposed to be in the sense of serve the kingdom of God and worship with the people of God because there's a great good girl from church that is waiting to be your forever love. Or there's a great guy at church waiting to be your forever love. They may not be in this church. They may not be here. I don't know the answer to that. And sometimes if you try to force it, it can create problems. But here's what I know. This is not a trust in the power of the church. This is a trust in the power of a good, good father. It's been my overwhelming experience that when we put first what he puts first, we can trust him with the parts that are completely out of our control. The great truth, even greater truth than that, is that you can trust God with everything even beyond whether or not you're living a life like you're supposed to live. Because that's just how good God is. That God is not only good when we're good, but even what we intend for evil, God works for good too. That's amazing. Oh, I could preach on that all day. But friends, here's my encouragement to you. If you're single and you hate it and you're out there and you're looking for that person, they may be in church, but they may not be in church. They may be doing a Christian life right now, but they may not be. I don't know the answer to that. But what I do know is that it is for you. 
to place your life in the people of God. And then allow God to direct your steps. And I am so simple-minded that I really do believe that God will make that path straight. And I know I just caricatured that as oversimplifying. I'm trying not to be dismissive, dismissive and just saying, just trust God, he'll work it out. I don't mean that dismissively. I mean that from like the bottom of my heart where I have seen from when I was a kid to now I'm in, I'm, I turned 39 in a month and a half. I've, I've seen over and over again, and those who are further down the road than me, you've seen it over and over again. God provides for his own. One final comment, because I'm done. For those who are single and love it, thank you for being here and blessing us with your gift. There are people in this church who've been given the gift of singleness. I could call their names right now, and everyone in this room that knows them would say, oh, yeah, man, what a blessing they are. You see why it's such a dead-end road to think that single people are broken? They're a blessing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for who you are, and Lord, I pray for my single friends right now. Those who are in this room, those watching this video online. Lord, for those that you have given this gift for, for their lifetime, Lord, that, Lord, thank you for sending those people to serve your church. And Lord, thank you for their willingness to say no to a life of family and build their life on the kingdom of God. Lord, that's such an honorable thing. And Lord, I pray we might be a people who honors that. Lord, for those who are here in this room, and Lord, they're, they're single, and there's no other way to say it. They hate it. They, they hate it. They, they wish they could find their mate. They wish that they could be married again because they've been through divorce or death or whatever it is lord i pray that you would take these words spoken today and they would place great trust in you without anybody looking around we're not going to be raising hands or anything like that in a message like this good grief um but just with our heads bowed and eyes closed if this is you you're single and you hate it and you want God to send that person to you. You know who you are. You pray quietly in your heart. Just say this, God, will you do this for me? Will you do this for me? And those who just prayed this prayer, I'm going to pray a specific prayer for you right now. Lord, you know the hearts of your children and you care for them more tenderly than a nursing mother or a loving father. There is no one that loves us like you do. There is no one that has loved us like Jesus. 
And I, Lord, I pray that right now my friends that are in a life that they hate and they want to be married, that, Lord, first and foremost, you would put your arms around him right now in this moment, that you would embrace them and that they would know that they are loved and cherished and that there's not something wrong with them. Now, Lord, I pray that you would hear their heart. You would hear their prayer. And God, that you would send them whoever it is you have for them. In fact, right now, somewhere in the world, wherever they are, you give that man, that woman, a kick in the pants to get them into this person's life because it's time. And you sovereignly bring about this good relationship that you have for them. We'll trust you until that time. Thank you for cherishing us. Lord, please be with my friends. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.